0: Welcome to SCI Science Perspectives, a podcast brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association. In this podcast, we'll be discussing emerging literature spanning the full spectrum of SCI research, from discovery to clinical application. You're listening to a Community Perspectives episode with Dr. Nina Carmela Tamayo. I'm your host, Dave.
1: And I'm your other host, Marla and today we will be discussing a paper titled the sci traveler navigating barriers to domestic and international travel the 2022 manual update which is a consensus resource document published by the american spinal injury association this paper was suggested to us by asia's rehabilitation standards committee our guest today is dr nina carmela tamayo dr tamayo is a board certified physiatrist and current ceo of prime directives pmnr llc and Chief Clinical Officer at PREV.AI. She received her master's degrees from Columbia University in Nutrition and Health Policy and Administration and Doctor of Osteopathy from the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey School of Osteopathic Medicine in 2013. She completed her residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Mercy Medical Center in Long Island and in 2018 finished her training in spinal cord injury at Case Western Reserve University Metro Health Hospital. In addition to her clinical work, Dr. Tamayo holds particular interest in travel and disability, accessibility, and universal design, health policy, community integration through healthcare technology, and artificial intelligence. So welcome, Dr.
2: Tamayo. Hi there. Thank you for having me.
0: Dr. Tamayo, I don't know if you saw last year, there was a New York Times article, and it was called Air Travel with a wheelchair user and it was photojournalism. Can you tell us what you thought about that article when you saw it?
2: Oh, I was so excited to see it because, you know, honestly, I have been, I've been watching for those kinds of articles, especially these last few years. And, and now that we're, we've sort of highlighted, you know, just the difficulties and challenges that people with disabilities face, not just spinal cord injuries, but everybody who's uh, needed an assistive device and what it's like to travel on a plane. I think it's very timely and apropos as this manual is coming out, because I definitely think people just don't understand. As I mentioned before, when you're you're planning for travel and you're traveling with a wheelchair, there's so much planning that goes into play. And also, you know, that is an extension of, you know, your functionality, especially for our patients who travel and their, their wheelchairs are either destroyed or sort of the Inhumanity in a lot of ways that they face when they're traveling because people don't understand what they're going through. I I was so pleased to see that it's been highlighted by the New York Times, and I'm hoping that it is a sort of an impetus for change. Yeah, super excited to see it.
0: Yeah, so publications like the New York Times can draw attention to the beautiful details. Some of that photojournalism I thought was so great, but Mm -hmm. in terms of the document that you've made, can you give a high level overview of the SCI traveler document and how it's intended to be used.
2: Sure. So this was actually written with a spinal cord injury population in mind. Uh, specifically those who are within the first couple of years of their injury. I call them our novice travelers. and uh, the idea here is to help them get out into the community in a, in a very guided and very gentle as, as I say way because I think you know as I said before, spontaneity kind of goes out the window with uh, traveling and spinal cord injuries so the guide helps them prepare meaning you know okay thinking about what do I need to bring if I'm going on just a local outing um, and or or versus a domestic outing or an international outing and then being prepared for emergencies and really being able to troubleshoot especially with your equipment and then you know really having that flexibility you know really thinking about okay well if I have this plan, this plan doesn't work. Then I go to the next plan. So it it helps them build those skill sets that you're gonna need when you are traveling, um, and also just being sort of highlighting the, uh, the the challenges that they might face. And and some of those challenges might be negative attitudes towards people with disabilities, sort of lack of properly trained staff, and sort of addressing you know how how you can overcome that, and really you know bridging that gap between. Going out into the community versus something a little bit more involved. I, I'm hoping that, that the guide will help with all of those things and and hopefully get more of our 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 patients out into the community and reduce the stress and the anxiety that is associated with traveling. So
1: yeah, kind of kind of going off that same vein. Can you talk about some of the like common pitfalls that you see that people with you know new injuries or families kind of encounter? When they first start getting back into traveling, maybe talk about also some of the recommendations that you make for people when they do start traveling at first. And then also a little bit about, I'd imagine that, you know, getting back into new travel or things like that, you it would require a lot of resilience and being able to kind of change plans at the last moment. And can you talk a little bit about that and how you talk to your patients and their family members before they kind of start with this traveling?
2: Sure. So your first question was on challenges that this population of people face. So I think the the biggest thing is the built environment. The the world is not made for people with disabilities and we're still struggling with it. So I think there's been new progress towards that, but I think one of the issues that a lot of my patients tell me after they've, you know, either uh, heard me talk they're like Dr. Tamayo you didn't tell me this was going to be that hard <laughs> and uh, and I said well yes it is it's going to be very difficult and you know I think that just educating them on their rights both domestically and internationally we are very lucky because we have the ADA but not everybody is in full compliance with the ADA so I tell them okay the the challenge is your built environment just make sure you know you have and the manual actually puts the link for the ADA you know what their rights are based off of that law and just being aware you know that they can advocate for themselves even at the most local level so if like their favorite restaurant is not ADA compatible or compliant they can actually you know advocate and say hey you know like you're not in accordance with the law and hopefully that can lead to real conversations about what their needs are and the um, establishment will follow suit but also telling them, okay, if you're going to go in that direction, it may not go our way, you know, but and, but still not losing hope and, and continuing to do that. So so yeah, the build environment is definitely a challenge. I think the attitudes that they face from the tourism industry, as, you know, Dave pointed out, whether it is an airline or a hotel or even a restaurant or even venues, you know, they, they may not have, those who are working there, may not have the the appropriate training to address their needs and sort of using those micro, I call them micro, but they're really macro. <laughs> they're they're major they're major uh, moments where you can potentially change how somebody addresses or approaches somebody with a with a disability and letting them know what their needs are. And one of the things that I put in the manual is that if you are planning for anything, you know, make sure that you call and you know have it in writing, call again. You know, there's a lot of time that 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 is involved in terms of, of planning something. but you know, making sure that you have proof of the conversations that you've had and making sure that you have your needs met. Um, and I think that also includes making sure you know what your needs are because a lot of the times, uh, when you are planning for travel and you're fresh out of an injury, you're still figuring that out and making sure that you have, you know, that thought process in mind and knowing yourself really well, as you go through this journey, it's going to change, it's going to fluctuate. But at, at a certain point, you know, you, everything will sort of stabilize. You have your process and, you know, you'll, it'll be much easier as the more that you do it. And then I think the third thing too, in terms of, um, you know, challenges is that the planning Just the planning by itself can be very tiresome. Uh, I know when I did the project where I sponsored some of my patients to go out into the Cleveland-Akron area to try some of the the manuals, pearls of wisdom, let's say. They had uh, a lot of challenges in terms of just planning it, like how much it took, how many times they had to call the front desk of their hotel to make sure they had everything that they needed, or just to make sure that the room is accessible. And, you know, that it's actually appropriate for them because we know that that's not always the case. So I think having that in mind and making sure that your, your expectations are, are adjusted in terms of planning a trip are really important. So I think those are the three big challenges that I would say. As far as the advice, I've kind of incorporated that into those challenges. But as I always say, you know, you have to go slow, especially if you've just had an injury you're still trying to figure out what your body wants to do and what it doesn't want to do and what it can and cannot do, but, and need modifications for. I think part of that is again, that preparation piece, really knowing what your needs are on a day-to-day basis, knowing and understanding your equipment and knowing how to troubleshoot your equipment are very important things, you know, as you navigate this journey And, you know, knowing, you know, the resources that are available to you, and that can include your therapist. I had actually put in here that there's, you know, some bike shops might be willing to look at your wheelchair. Although I already had one patient say here in the Ohio area that that's some, some of them don't want to touch it because it's a a liability for them. However, I did see out in Philadelphia, I've been seeing this in social media, Tech Owl, PA, I think is their, I want to say they're out of Drexel. But uh, I may be wrong. But they're they're actually doing a lot of community outreach to you know reach out to some of these bike shops that might be able to help people with disabilities and their their wheelchairs. So I, I love seeing that you know community engagement. So I, I think just general advice, you know, just being prepared and uh, understanding the time. And as far as resilience is concerned, yes, I, I I don't think I can have this conversation with my patients without telling them. This might break your heart initially. It is really hard to do this. And the challenges that they face, just again, like a lot of the the comments that I got from the project that we did was, oh, I I didn't realize I could just up and go and that this actually required these steps, you know, but it's also trying to teach them in a way where the steps become second nature to them. And it it goes quicker, you know, as they, as they uh, grow into their injury. Yeah, I mean I don't think there are any words I can say, you know, really to 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 tell them like oh yeah, this is this is not going to be this is going to be hard. Like there's really no no other words for it and I I keep telling them you just have to keep trying because I tell them that they are an agent of change. I tell them that, you know, they are part of this community and will always be part of this community and if people see what they can do, they may be, you know, the inspiration or the motivation for the next person who has a spinal cord injury, and they might be able to motivate that person to get out into the community, increase their travel experience, and actually live a really full life. And I think they they can learn, too, you know, what what's good for them and be able to pass them on. So part of what my talk is when I I, I talk to, you know, my patients is that I tell them, like, this is not just you, you know, this is more than you and what you do and what you keep on doing, and what you keep on pushing our community to, to see you uh, is going to be a really great change for the next person and for your entire community. So I hope that, you know, idea of them being involved in advocacy is one way to keep them hopeful, you know, and to keep them engaged. So Yes, that's, that's that's what I usually try to say to them.
0: Yeah, that's great. Maybe that's one reason why this document has so many different categories for travel. So can you give us a short description of what qualifies as travel and kind of how you guys define travel as you were making this?
2: Yeah, so when when I first started this whole process – I, I think I define travel as, you know, just it's like your, your traditional sense of travel where you get on a plane or you get on a train, you get in a car, you go to another city or town. So it's domestic travel in the sense of you're crossing state lines. And then as we were writing it, we we're like, well, wait a second, why why are we just dealing with domestic travel? You know, we should really be looking at international travel because that can certainly affect, you know, an individual's experience, especially because not everybody has the ADA. Some of the more, uh, I think, westernized countries have something similar, but they're not exactly the same. So, just also being aware of that from an international traveling perspective. But yeah, then COVID happened and we were like, well, nobody wants to travel now. So, we have to kind of redefine what travel actually means. And we realized you know, just getting to your community, like shops, or, you know, the bank, the church, the gym, that also constitutes travel, you know, it's literally the act of leaving one's house is travel. So I think we went through the whole gamut of definitions for travel. And, you know, we realized that for this to be a useful manual, we needed to address all. Now, it's not meant to be like a super comprehensive, you know, uh, guide, but I think it provides enough information to be able to get your, your first steps into that, that journey of travel. So that's why one of the other pieces of advice I give is just start within your local community, you know, cause that, that is travel in and of itself. And you should be proud of being able to do that given the statistics are so low. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that, that it's hyper-local, it's global. One section, I hope, gets added in the future. Shout out Astro Access, Disabled in Space. Are we all going to space? (laughs) Have you followed any of this? Yeah, I have.
2: So one of the questions that came up, this was a few years ago, is one with a colleague of mine. We were looking at, uh, well, how can we build a plane that has all the bells and whistles for, you know, people in wheelchairs? Because obviously, you have to think about safety first, you know, what is the disaster preparedness there? And what's the emergency, you know, plan looking like if you've got a whole plane full of individuals who need assistive devices? And I I mean, sure, space is probably the next thing (laughs) that we should consider. But I would would love, if we can get, if we can, you know, do that on Earth first, then we can look at going into space.
0: So that's fantastic. (laughs) The European Space Agency has made an official statement that they intend to put someone with a disability in space. Yeah, that's amazing. This is awesome. Okay, Dr. Tamayo, we have four quick questions for the doctor because you are a licensed doctor. Not that this is medical advice, but okay, I have my spinal cord injury. I'm traveling. One thing that I always hear of is like, oh, jet lag. Do we know about the effects of jet lag on self-care routines and spinal cord injury?
2: That's a great question. I, I, I don't think I've actually, and I'm being very honest here. I don't think I've really looked into that. You know, it's. I don't want to necessarily make assumptions, but I think if you're planning for travel, again, part of it is sort of knowing what your routine is and keeping to it, no matter where you're going. So I, I think that that's. Uh, that's why it's so important to to know what your daily routine is. And even if you're going, you know, six hours ahead or six hours behind you, that shouldn't necessarily change, you know, and I, I think that if you try to, I, it might be more of a mess coming back. Uh, and so I think just keeping with your routine is super important. Yeah.
0: So research question for anyone listening, uh, body clocks are more important than time zones, but we'll we'll let the scientists figure that one out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Risks for travel, you know, things like might be a little bit different for me. So top three medical considerations I should have while traveling.
2: So I think one of the two, three of the biggest things we discuss this in spinal cord injury all the time is bowel, bladder, skin. And especially if you're getting on a plane, you know, planning for when you're, um, when you do empty your bladder, when do you have your, your bowel program, assuming that, you know, it, it doesn't fall during the time of your, your travel. And then skin, you know, how to protect your skin. So in terms of your bladder, you know, I, I always tell my patients, if you are getting on a plane and let's say it's a smaller plane and they don't have the, the wheelchair access, some, you know, do really well with cathing beforehand, you know, making sure that they have time to do that. And if they have like a connecting flight, making sure that there's enough time between connecting flights flights to cath again. Some actually, you know, uh, have felt comfortable enough with having a leg bag on the plane and just making sure that if it is, let's say, an international flight or a longer coast to coast flight, that, you know, you have, you're comfortable enough being empty, empty emptying your bag. Some people are not comfortable with that. Other people are totally fine with it. And, you know, in terms of, you know, also just educating the crew in terms of what your needs are, especially for your, your bladder program. I think those are all very important things to consider. As far as the bowel program, hopefully when you are planning, you know, you try to plan for your flight after it's done so that you don't have any accidents. And also, again, like as you mentioned, once you're traveling, you're on to your different, uh, a different destination and keeping in tune with what your routine is, is really important. And then lastly, in terms of skin, you know, I always tell my patients to travel with a Rojo cushion. And there's actually a whole section in the uh, manual about troubleshooting if something happens to that. And it's it's really important to keep tabs on your skin as you're traveling. The air is very dry, you know, keeping uh, your skin very moisturized, making sure that you're, you know, watching how you're sitting because, you know, those airplane uh, armrests can be, you know, pushing on a, a part of you that you may not have any sensation in. So making sure you're watching that. And also, you know, as far as um, any belts or, you know, uh, seat belts, those can also affect your skin. So, you know, making sure that if you are on a, a long haul flight, just watching your skin every couple hours, making sure that you're not putting any pressure injuries or or, or um, leaving room for that. So those are the three big uh, pieces of advice i give.
0: Great. One more quick risk question, mm-hmm. and then we'll ask a benefit question. Mm-hmm. So is there any word- Totally off limits where you would suggest someone without a spinal cord injury go. But if you were had if someone with a spinal cord injury ask you, you'd say, No, don't even try it.
2: Oh, I saw this question from Marla in, my, in the email, and I was like, I, I really had to think about this because, you know, I, I think about it in, in two different ways. Is there a place where safety? So the first thing I think about is safety, right? I think part of it too, is that, you know, I, I see some of these more, you know, the, the the guys who do the Wheel X games and they're so brave and they can, I, I, I mean, I don't even do that. <laughs> like I'm so risk averse in that sense. I think because this particular manual is directed to, you know, people with their novice travelers and their, you know, the individuals who've had their injuries in the first couple of years, I, I don't know if there's any specific place that I would tell them not to go. I think with any advice that I give, it's always just being aware of the risks of you know going, um, let's say they they wanted to try something a little bit more extreme with their chair. Like let's say it's their they wanted to go you know, to Colorado, which is actually the the place where the 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 seed was planted for this manual. And they wanted to go hiking, you know, and what is that, just being aware of what that trail looks like, obviously it should be accessible for them. Uh, But even if it is accessible, you know, being aware of what can happen to their wheelchair and knowing who to call if something does happen, uh, having resources either in the area or, you know, at home to help them troubleshoot. Oh, that was such a t- tough question. So I don't know if I have a great answer for it. But I-, I think again, you know, going back to, you know, just identifying the risks. And, you know, are you willing to um, take that risk? Some people are.
0: No, it really, these are we're talking mostly here about adults. So if they're informed, and they consent, say, yeah, then
2: right. Well, and also for me, so like, as a sense. traveler myself, I don't know if there's, I can't say that I would say no to places. I, I think it's really just Part of it is really just doing your research. You know? know, know thyself is really the the first law, right? First rule of travel, and uh, and know your environment.
0: This is great, Doctor Tamayo. Get Socratic with
2: this. <laughs> I try. <laughs> That's the University of Chicago training in there.
0: <laughs> there you go. That's it. Okay. One question about uh, potential medical benefits, sure. and then we'll wrap up the episode. Mm-hmm. So, do you know, Doctor Tamayo, if there are any known benefits? to traveling in people with disabilities, specifically maybe spinal cord injuries. So there's retail therapy, is there travel therapy?
2: Yes. So there was a uh, an article that talked about the process of becoming travel active. And it doesn't only encompass the traditional concept of traveling to domestic or international uh, destination, but it's really the foundation of a success successful transition and reintegration back to the community. So the process of becoming travel active equates to improvement in quality of life. And so we know we can't run our lives without traveling, without leaving our homes. Well, that, cha- that may change in the future now that we're seeing so much technology. But I, I do think that what we saw with COVID, you know, sort of that idea of social isolation can be really combated by uh, getting out into the community, having those opportunities to share with friends, with family and experiencing new things. You know, there's there's a lot of individuals with spinal cord injury who have the same desire to travel as those who don't have a spinal cord injury. So what we get out of it is the same. So the reason why you and I might want to travel, you know, is the same as, as, as somebody with a spinal cord injury, no matter what the barriers or challenges are. And so, you know, a lot of the reasons why that the, they give is really to have that Fulfillment in life, you know, improving their community integration and independence. So, yeah, it really goes back to quality of life.
1: Awesome. This is such an exciting topic. And I'm so glad that we could have something that's, you know, practical, something that we can use, get people out traveling again. I think we have three people on here that can all agree that there's plenty of benefit in travel. <laughs> and plenty to see. So we really appreciate you, Dr. Tamayo. And just to let everyone know, we'll link in the show notes, the manual, and uh, keep everyone updated as soon as it's coming out so people can have access. Make sure you're checking with your docs and checking with your PTs, OTs, rec therapists to see their tips and tricks practically kind of when you're getting out traveling. And thank you so much for doing this thank with us, Dr. Tamayo. Thank you for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of SCI Science Perspectives, brought to you by the American Spinal Injury Association. The paper discussed in this episode was chosen based on the recommendation of Asia's Education Committee. The podcast is made possible by the leadership of Dr. Suzanne Grove, your pr- producer hosts, David McMillan and Marla Petrillo, our editor, Abby Fox, production assistant, James Concepcion, and Asia's front office. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, Please contact us at sci perspectives podcast at gmail.com.